covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. We do welcome you in. It's another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. It is great to have you with us. Unfortunately, as we talk, I'm recording this the evening of Sunday, August 4th. I think we can say that this is the low point of the Brewers season coming off a three-game sweep by the Cubs and sitting just one game over 500, and also now four games back in the division of the Cubs and also behind the Cardinals sitting in third place in the division. So not a lot of things are going right for the team right now. Now it should be noted, just four games back in the division, just a couple of games back in the wild card. They're still very much in contention and still can accomplish everything that they want to accomplish. But I think we've gotten to a point now where they need to get going. I'll talk more about that in just a moment. As always, let's open up by uh, getting the formalities out of the way. If you listen to the podcast on Apple Podcast, I want to leave a ranking review. That'd be great. If you don't subscribe and you do subscribe, that would be appreciated as well. If you want to get in contact with me, find me on Twitter at Matt Pauley on Air. Our featured guest this week, Jim Goulart, who is uh, over at BrewerFan.net. He is going to join us coming up in uh, just a few moments. Have a, I've already recorded that conversation with him. I've already recorded both of our uh, featured guest interviews. And uh, the conversation with Jim, I think uh, I think it's good because he, he's got a little bit more of a negative view of the way things are going than even I do. I don't think I have a negative view. I, I still think there's – I just don't think they're playing very good baseball right now, but I think there's a lot that this team can still do. I I, th- I would characterize Jim as maybe being a little bit more negative than that. I think I think he'd be okay with me characterizing that way. If not, I'm sure he's listening to this and he can, uh, he can let me know otherwise. But the thing I enjoy about the conversation with Jim, and I enjoy all of our conversations, a couple, a couple things I enjoy about the conversation with Jim. Uh, I, I think there's kind of – two sides to a lot of things that are discussed, which is always good. It's good to hear both sides of it. And uh, something else that I really appreciate about Jim, and I don't think this is true about every person out there, I can disagree with him. I can push back on him. And it's not a fight. It's not disrespect. It's just two guys talking about baseball. And uh, sometimes you don't agree with everything. And uh, I've said it, one of the biggest problems I think in our world right now or at least in our country is the fact that if you disagree with somebody well then they immediately don't like you and one thing I, I enjoy being able to talk to people who I can disagree with and still be friends with and that definitely uh, Jim falls under that category so I push back on a couple things that he says and we'll get into that coming up in uh, just a little bit also Chris Marion is going to join us the broadcaster for the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers uh, we got a lot to talk to with uh, Chris we'll talk about they had they had quite the week where they were bringing in generators and they had non-timber rattler events going on and they had no power. I mean, just craziness. And uh, we'll get kind of a uh, a first row view of what happened or account of what happened, I guess you should say. Uh, and then uh, also uh, we'll talk about uh, the baseball aspect of things as well. It's, there was a pretty big Timber Rattlers debut this past week, and we'll get Chris's thoughts on that coming up in uh, just a while. I'm not going to go long here. You know, this is kind of my opening monologue where I, where I talk about things. I, I'm. It's not a situation where we really need to go deep on what's going on. Everybody knows what's going on with this team right now. They're not playing good baseball. They just got swept by the Cubs. They lost two of three in Oakland before that. Things are not going well. 
I'll say this. The, the thing that bothers me more than anything else, if you've heard me on the radio at all over the last few days, you've heard me say this a million times. You're probably sick of hearing it by now, so that's why I'm not going to harp on it. It's the hitting. It's the hitting that's hurting this team. I know there's a belief out there that the pitching isn't good enough for them to compete. I think starting pitching for the most part, not all the time. You know, Zach Davies has had three rough starts. Uh, Adrian Hauser was not especially good on Sunday. But I think for the most part, starting pitching is keeping you in games. Um, They're not hitting. They're not hitting. I was just running the numbers on the Cubs series a little bit ago. So they never score more than two runs in the series in a game. They get outscored. I believe it was uh, 17 to 5 over the three games, something like that. I didn't write it down. I just did it. I looked, and now I'm trying to remember. I do remember this number for sure. Uh, they went two for 17 with runners in scoring position. That's not going to get it done. It's so easy to be upset about the pitching when the pitching staff doesn't have that like front line guy, and the trade deadline occurred, and just it, things did not go the way that you wanted them to go at the trade deadline in terms of being able to bring in uh, a top guy for the rotation. It's really easy to be focused in on the rotation. I get it. I don't think it's a I don't think it's a correct assessment of the team right now. I just don't. I think they're losing games because they're not hitting especially when they've got a lineup that should be hitting a lot more than it is. They built this team to be an offensive juggernaut. We can go back in the podcast if you want. Go listen to right before the season got started. Go listen after they signed Yasmani Grandal. We're talking about this team being a top two, top three offensive club in the National League. That's how they need to win games. The pitching was going to do enough to help you win, and they were going to hit the heck out of the ball. And that just hasn't happened Now, the Cubs seem to be getting going a little bit. The Cardinals have been playing some pretty good baseball. And I think this is a crossroads right now. I think this is the crossroads of the season. I'm not saying that they're out of it. There's a lot of people who say, oh, you got swept by the Cubs, season's over. No, it's not. It's not over. Just the same way it wasn't over last year when the Brewers got swept in a five-game series against Pittsburgh. Admittedly, when that happened against Pittsburgh, that was significantly earlier in the season than it is right now. But the season wasn't over then, and the season isn't over now. This team still has everything that they want to accomplish in front of them and able to accomplish it, but they have to play better. They have to hit better. They can't play the kind of baseball they've been playing here recently and have that happen. That's that's the key on this. And you're, you're not supposed to just be able to flip a light switch, snap a finger, whatever you want to say to, to start things up, but the Brewers need to do that. If there is a switch to be flipped, a finger to be snapped, they need to do it because there's urgency now that I don't think was there before the Cubs series as just seems like the Cubs are, are moving along here and the Brewers need to keep up. And say the same thing with the Cardinals. You know, they got to keep up with both those teams. Still a lot of baseball left to be played, a ton of baseball left to be played. I just feel like this is the moment Kind of this. This is the crossroads. Um, if they go on and go on a good run and make it into the postseason, I think we'll probably look back at this point and kind of say where they did from here. If they don't make it to the postseason this year, you probably can look back to the Cubs series and say, okay, that that series or maybe that trip is where things really started to to kind of go wrong, where the Cubs and or the Cardinals took off and the Brewers still kind of stayed in their their current spot. 
that's kind of where I'm at right now. Uh, we'll get uh, Jim Goulart's thought on in just a moment. Also, do want to say a uh, special welcome to the people who are listening to us on uh, over-the-air radio. I know this is a podcast, but at least once a week on Monday, and I think uh, occasionally either on Wednesday or Thursday, uh, they run this podcast on 540 ESPN some point between uh, 3 o'clock and 6 o'clock. So if you are listening to the podcast on 540 right now, hello, thank you. You can also find the podcast on Apple Podcast on Stitcher uh, at WTNJ.com. All right, let's get to uh, this week's social media conversation. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers Extra Range, the podcast. It is powered by WTMJ Mobile. We bring on right now a guy who's uh, very active at uh, brewerfan.net, the original Link reporter. I don't know how he finds everything that he finds that he puts out there. He's a, he's a great resource, especially from an audio standpoint, where you can hear everything that's going on, uh, not just at the major league level, but uh, any interviews, anything like that done with uh, minor league players, and of course, pretty much all the daily news that's out there on an everyday basis. Uh, Jim is a big part of uh, compiling it and getting it all put together over at uh, BrewerFan.net. He is Jim Goulart. Follow him on Twitter at Mass underscore Haas, M-A-S-S underscore H-A-A-S. Jim, Always great to talk to you. How are you? I'm doing fine, Matt. I'm probably doing better than our the team that we follow so closely. <laughs> yeah, um, I, we were talking off air just a couple moments ago, and I think people who listen to my post game show and listen to this podcast and everything know that I really try to find positive spins on things. I, you know, over the course of a 162 game season. There's always something that's going to be going wrong, and if you just only focus on the negatives, I feel like you have a hard time enjoying a baseball season, so I try to look at the things that are going right, and not that nothing is going right right now, and we'll get on into some of the stuff, but for the most part, uh, this team's only won one game on the road trip going through Oakland and Chicago. They got swept against Chicago. They're not scoring runs. I know people want to complain about pitching. I'm, I really think the inability to score runs is what's causing them to, to lose games right now. It's tough to be positive. And I know you're someone who tries to find the positives at times as well. Where, where, where do you stand on this team right now as the losses continue to pile up? I'm not very enthused, I'll, I'll tell you right now. <laughs> it's amazing how little and and you said we would talk about what's gone right it's just how very little has gone right really since that eight and two start if you think about it um there were stretches where they held their own and would take two off three from some consecutive series um back in you know late april may but really ever since they reached that that longer stretch against teams that they should have taken care of and they failed. I forget what the exact numbers were, but I think it was a 26-game stretch against teams that had basically sub-500 records. And and they played some miserable, disappointing baseball. And now they find themselves, I just glanced at the standings, and another couple of losses, and they'll be behind teams like Arizona, San Francisco. The Mets are literally one game back of the Brewers right now in the wildcard chase. This becomes much more than just... Uh, I think we've just been fooled for a while by the um, 
ineptness of the Cardinals and Cubs for a long stretch. This is probably a conversation Brewer fans probably should have felt this disappointed and upset really six to eight weeks ago. It was only the Cubs and Cards that kept the standings like, okay, this this can still happen, this turnaround that we're waiting for. So very disappointing, Matt. I think I do think there's been some better periods than maybe you'll you'll allude to. I'll I'll defend the team a little bit here. Uh, from April 26 to May 10th, on April 26 they were one game over 500 at 14 and 13. On May 10th they're 24 and 16, so they are eight games over 500. So they picked up what six games over that period where they only lost three or four games. Uh, there was another period from uh, June 1st to the middle of the month where they, let's see, they went one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, like nine and three, nine and four. I get what you're saying, uh, and it's not that I, I probably agree with it more than I disagree with it, and I, I certainly look at what's been going on since that Cincinnati series, and this has been a bad period. But to me, it's not so much the... I think it's a roller coaster more than this sustained kind of downturn. I think there's a couple pretty good moments, but also there's some bad moments in the season as well. It just seems to me like it's been, even in the in the good times, they were asking so much of the bullpen. Where I, I put something out t- today just to the community. I, I didn't get a full answer back yet, but um, what I meant to do earlier today, and I'm sorry I didn't get to it, was see – how many like wins over four runs the Miami Marlins have, the Baltimore Orioles have, and, and just the, even the Detroit Detroit type. I mean, where are the Brewer games where you just sit back after three or four innings and go, okay, we got this one, and Paul team can feel this way, and you bring in long relievers and middle relievers in their traditional kind of mop up and, and hang on roles. It just hasn't happened. Even every win, you're sweating it out, and there's just no breathing room. And I think that the players have felt it, the front office, and certainly as fans, we just haven't been able to kick back and enjoy um, any type of killer mentality, I guess it is. And when you're just not hitting, of course, the killer mentality just seems like the furthest thing away. Um, Every bullpen mistake is magnified because you're asking three or four guys every night to be on. And if even just one of them is off, we've seen it over and over again, where that two to one lead turns into a three to two deficit. And we're, we're blaming the bullpen where we really, we should be blaming, you know, the, the, the ability of the starters to go deep, which we know is a management philosophy, but most importantly, of course, is this offense. And I am trying to remain hopeful here, but the number of, uh, players who who've disappointed and aren't trending well, and then we can talk about the, the Jesus Aguilar move. I hope Jacob Faria is really somebody who uh, they really really have big plans for because who was the one bat who maybe wasn't trending in the wrong direction and yet was still struggling to find plate appearances, and that was Aguilar. And of course, he's off to a, a fine start with Tampa Bay, somewhat predictable. <laughs> I found uh, I, I very quickly ran through, and obviously when they've played over 100 games, it's tough for me to, to do it. But I, I found six games where, just based off the score, it looks as if it was one of those 
sit back and enjoy. And that's not a, for a team that the for a team that had the best record in the National League last year and had legit World Series contentions or, or aspirations, I should say, coming into this season. Here we are. We're doing this interview on the evening of August fourth. For me to find six games wow. where it looks yeah. like the Brewers were just in control, six seven run lead, you know that that sort of thing. That's not a lot. That is a very small number. That's a shockingly small number. Uh, I'm fifty seven and fifty six. Six wins out of fifty seven that weren't you know basically, if not nail biters, then then not comfortable victories. Uh, that's kind of the sense that I got. Thank you for skimming through and, and confirming that for me. Um, just the list goes on and on, and, and where are people stepping up? And that's what I think I'm, we're waiting for. And, and, you know, Trent Grisham's a nice story over the last couple of days, but let's give this a little bit of time. But where are the step-ups? It's just incredible. that we Even the, the back of the back end of the – the bullpen, meeting the guys that they rotate up and down from San Antonio. And last year they were getting production from all those guys. And when they sent somebody down, it wasn't because they had performed poorly. It was because they had pitched three innings of shutout ball and weren't going to be available for three days. So you, you send them down waiting for the, the next time that they can come up. This year they've just rotated through, we'll just call them guys after guy that just didn't perform when needed, didn't keep games close when they were asked. And we've been through how many DFAs and releases, and it's just been never-ending. And, of course, that's not the, the biggest problem on the, on the team. The, the problem is the, the Travis Shaws of the world and, you know, and, and Arcia deficiencies. It's just Boussakis and Grandal as of the last several weeks, right? And, and I have a real problem with, with Craig Council not recognizing that uh, this wasn't going to be Lorenzo Cain's year in terms of uh, production and the, and the fact that he's been in the top third of the lineup so consistently. Um, that, that's taken too long to address. Continuing to be joined by uh, Jim Goulart, who just said a lot. It's hard for me to kind of react to everything that, uh, that, 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 that no that's good yeah. I just uh, you said a lot and I don't want to uh, I don't I certainly don't want to miss out on anything let's get to kind of that taxi squad group when we're talking about positions number kind of 23 through 28 where a few guys are on the big league roster at any given moment and a few guys are, are on the triple a roster you're right last year guys came up from Colorado Springs Good performances, pitch three innings, get sent back down. Another guy comes up, gets his chance to go his three innings, gets sent down, and it was just a it was a shuffle, and and it really worked out well. And it hasn't this year, and that nobody's talking about this. That's why the trades at the deadline were made. Drew Pomerantz is the only guy who was brought in and placed onto the Major League roster, at least on deadline day. Obviously, Jordan Lyles prior to deadline day. But on deadline day, Pomerantz is the only guy. Faria and Black both go to AAA. To me, that's them addressing the issue of kind of the, the, the pitching depth beyond the Major League roster, but how it still impacts the Major League roster. Sure, and I, I'm guessing we'll see both of those guys sooner rather than later. I think uh, there was some type of technicality with Faria and the way he was optioned that he had to stay down the first 10 days. Um, 
Uh, black, we may see it any time. But hopefully they jump in and they perform. But we know there's so much more to it than that. But, yeah, the guys are going to lose, and we've already seen it. They're, they're 40-man roster spots and otherwise uh, because we just haven't had that uh, performance. And I, I don't know, Matt, I just think we can talk about that portion of the, the roster, but it goes so much beyond that in terms of the uh, – do you think – I mean uh, – where are we with the with the Yasmani Grandal signing? Is just the the eighteen million is just was it well spent and was it well conceived? And they say there's no bad one year contract, but I'm just oh I guess it's just such a frustrating stretch that uh, I'm, I'm don't want to say I'm grasping at straws. Uh, he hasn't been the biggest problem, but I'm not sure that that was the bang for the buck that they were seeking. 19 home runs, 55 RBIs, and 845 OPS at the moment where he's at his lowest moment of the year. I mean, the, the average isn't anything to write home about at 251, but last year in Los Angeles, he hit 241. And in 2017 in Los Angeles, he hit 247, and he was at 228. So he acts his 251 batting average as it sits right now. It would actually be his highest batting average since his first year when he played 60 games with San Diego back in 2012. Uh, his 19 home runs last year he was at 24. That was a second. Uh, that was the second highest number he had in his career. His career high is 27. So probably you know trajectory. He probably doesn't get to 27. He could match last year's 24. Um, OPS wise, the 845 is actually the best of his career since that 60 games in San Diego. So I think there's, I think you can still find some real positives with Yasmani Grandal. I, again, Jim, I, I, I know where you're coming from. And when you start breaking down what he has done recently and how the numbers have dropped, I mean, this is a guy who was hitting 274 a month ago and it's dropped 20 points. So obviously uh, he's not getting the hits right now. But I do think also, and I, I, I'm I'm guilty of this, sometimes we're prisoners of the moment, and th- that might be a little bit of the case right now with Grandall because overall his numbers, I think, stand up to what you could expect from him. You're right about the money that you give him, but you can't give him that money and say – hey, this guy's going to go outperform what he's ever done in his career before. Mm-hmm. In in some areas, he's right on track with what he's done, and in some areas, he's better. He really isn't lower in any statistical category than what you would expect. So that's a, that's a really long response to you saying the money was probably well spent. Yeah, I, and I agree. I think we're just at this point, Matt, where – it's more than just this weekend. You know what I'm saying? It's it's more than just this weekend that we've seen where this is a 500 team. And and now we're saying, okay, we were, we're still technically, of course, in the race. I'm not blowing that off. And, and you could be speaking with your next guest a week from now after a, a sleep in Pittsburgh and, and good series at home, um, a couple, you know, interleague series that are coming up at, at home at Miller Park. But – there's just this overall sense that uh, when you just aren't putting teams away, when <laughs> how much can we take at this moment? Josh Hader, um, we could pick almost any spot on the roster and analyze what's happened recently, but it's a little more than recently. And, and let me put the spin on it as well, is that once you get to the point where you're like, okay, a little bit soured on what's going on for 2019, 
this organization isn't really positioned really well. And look, we're not going to start off-season chatter now, but <laughs> it needed to happen this year. Would you agree with that? I mean, everything was lined up with the Mustakis one-year contract, the Grandal one-year contract. Everything was lined up to to replicate as best they could what happened last year. And, and just some of the decisions that went into the, the roster formation led to, to questions that now kind of are manifesting themselves, but nobody saw Travis Shaw's struggles. Nobody saw uh, the struggles of Corbin Burns. How much, why aren't we picking out the highlights? Because they're so outnumbered, Matt. They're, they're so outnumbered. And now I'm, I'm telling myself that just like when I watched as a 19-year-old uh, person back in 1982, Willie McGee break my heart, you know, with the 82 club uh, and those Cardinals. Now I'm just going to have Chris Taylor catch nightmares for the, for quite a while from last year's NLCS, because uh, I think that was the real difference in that game seven. So again, I find myself rambling a little bit, but there's so, so many places that we can pick out the tough situations and not a lot of places where we can go, wow, that's really worked out. And guess what? One of them was Brandon Woodruff. And that was just a big dagger, I think, to the, the morale and everything else that's going on with this club. Uh, let's go to a hypothetical situation for a second, because if the Brewers would have lost two of three to the Cubs instead of getting swept, we'd be talking right now and they would be two games back. There's a, I know, like like the smart Alex out there will say, well, the difference between two and four is two games. It's more than that. It's being two games out of first place and being four games out of first place feels it's it's much much different between the two. Would you have a different attitude about things? Do you think if the team was fifty eight and what I'm trying to do math here, fifty eight and fifty five and two games back of first place instead of fifty six and fifty six and four games, does that game matter that much to uh, impact you at all? No, because I think I, see, I think I'm I'm wise enough to just see the overall picture of that this team is is not. Um, not gelling and trending in the right direction. And I think we're just getting caught up in this whole standings piece where the, the NL Central is what it is this year, but there's been too many series disappointments over the last, you know, six to eight weeks where we just go, oh, this is, when is somebody going to break free? And you're right. You're right in the sense that, uh, look, look, the Cubs are, um, I'm pulling it up here now, but, um, you know, okay, they're up to nine games over 500. The Cardinals are six. It's not out of reach. Take away the bad weekend, like you say. But who has, has, has this been a fun season? And I think it's been a, it's been like a little bit of a, uh, a dental appointment where maybe you're not getting a root canal, but you're just getting a, a cleaning that's a really deep cleaning that doesn't feel that great um, when it's all said and done. Uh, it was a little bit painful from start to finish that we're trying to get through this and get to the point where th- there's some urgency on the season, um, not only from an organizational picture long-term, but certainly now short-term. It's, it's come to a head um, as of this week, and uh, there's just so many roster decisions, I think, that can be questioned and so many performances that are They've been dreadful. We haven't mentioned Jeremy Jeffress yet. We haven't mentioned um, 
you know, Jimmy Nelson's situation, it just, oh, I know that it's, I'm, I've usually come on and, and tried to bring more specific analysis. I just find myself in this little malaise right now, maybe as much as the team. And I, I don't know if if you're sensing it from your talk shows and such. But Yes, I am. There, there has, there's, there's a malaise right now because when was the last time they showed any type of dominance whatsoever? Um, it's It's been a while. I do think if David Stearns can do it all again, I – Wade Miley's probably on this team based off the amount of money he got in Houston. Uh, you, you're not going into the season with a, a Corbin Burns and a Freddie Peralta really being relied on and just sticking them in the rotation. Uh, may, maybe they do more. Yeah, I remember I remember when Anthony Swarzak was pitching for Seattle, and I thought to myself, you know what, this team could really use him again. And like a week mm-hmm. later, he got picked up by Atlanta. And he's been pretty good for Atlanta. And so, so maybe when Corey Knebel went down, making a move like you know, a Swarzak-like move. I just I just use him as an example to give an illustration of somebody who clearly would have been available. I David Stearns is still a relatively young general manager, and let's be honest, he's never been through a season filled with adversity like this one. He's been through uh, a season where there were very little expectations and they played, you know, beyond the expectations, but still were not especially good. His next season as the full-time GM was when they get within one game of the postseason, again, exceeding expectations. His third season as the GM is when they get to game seven of the NLCS. Now he had a lot to do with that. He made some really great moves last season to, to make that happen. But reacting to adversity, as much adversity as has gone on this season, I have to think this is a learning experience for Stearns as well. Absolutely. And I'm so glad that I did enjoy last season as much as I think every Brewer fan did. And it's hard not to enjoy, uh, you know, a season like that. Incredible from, you know, that, that August and September run. And I think people were always comparing the – the overall record to last year with, with not remembering just how incredible August and September were last year, particularly uh, like from mid August to, to, to the end of the, the race. So it's just, um, yeah, it, it, David Stearns is not graded particularly well. I think there's been a lot of overreactions to some of the situations in place in terms of, well, let's put, we have to put Adrian Hauser back into uh, the rotation um, after the, the dual hits with, with Woodruff and, and Chassin and we, well, we, well, let's not even look to AAA at all where there are pitchers that have, you know, performed okay in starting roles, maybe not the ones we were expecting, but let's take something we know worked with Adrian Hauser in the bullpen and just because, well, we think he's that potential. Well, let's worry about 2020 with Adrian Hauser um, as a starter. I was not a big fan of that pullback, and it's it's suffered since in in, in numerous ways. Um, we still have situations where I think when when will they recognize that that the problem is that you've got pitchers right now who need to pitch almost only in mop up situations, and there are not enough situations in which you're trying to use a traditional middle reliever or hold on because the offense isn't producing the runs. 
it's um it's been a struggle and uh i think when i think fans and i'm not telling you you're fooling yourself matt but i think fans who are trying to put still put a positive shine on this i hope i'm wrong i, I just i just don't see it trending very well right now and it's gone be- and more than just this past weekend all right so let me give you my positive so this here's my here's my hopeful statement for people who are listening um I think the Brewers are losing games right now for more than any other reason because of the offense. I'm not telling you pitching has been great. It hasn't been. But the, you get a lot of starters who are kind of just keeping you in the game, and but you're, you're scoring one run. You're scoring two runs. You're not going to win games when you're scoring one or two runs. So the the bit of hope is where the talent on this team is is from an offensive standpoint. They should be scoring so many more runs than what they're scoring right now. And there's nothing to indicate they will turn it on, but they still could. And if the offense turns it on, at least, you know, you have pitching that can kind of keep you in games. Uh, so that that's that's my thing of hope because I think there's a lot of underperforming players offensively. You mentioned Grandall. You mentioned, you know, what Moustakis has done recently hasn't been great. Lorenzo Kane, guys with track records, guys who are very good offensive players who have not been really good offensive players recently. And if somehow, some way, they find a way to regain their form, I think this team is in good shape down the stretch of the season. Well, that that means that the the pitching, which you know these guys, you know the Chase Andersons of the world, you know, continue to actually perform okay. That that's considering that they'll keep up that end of the bargain. But yeah. what have we seen for a good portion of the season? I remember stretches where they lost what two eight to seven games within the same week, right? I mean, that wasn't. That was part of this whole six to eight week uh, stretch here that's been such a struggle. It's just nothing's matched up this year. When they, when they score runs, they they give up runs. When they, they when they don't score runs, they're either getting pummeled or they're losing close games uh, where you're trying to overcome an early two three run deficit or you're giving up bullpen leads late. So. I'm trying to have that positive aspect as well, but boy, I guess if you've listened to my conversation from start to finish right now um, during this podcast, uh, you'll kind of get a sense for, for where I am, and uh, it's just, after so many years of being a fan, sometimes you just have the realistic aspect of uh, just what is going on with, you start to question clubhouse chemistry and moves, and, and of course chemistry is always a you know, the chicken and the egg. Well, I'm a, I'm a big believer that the winning foresees the, the chemistry and, and not vice versa. So uh, they have to create their own chemistry at this point. And to, to that, let, let me be very clear. If the bats do turn around and then the pitching reverts back to, you know, there was like that 31-game stretch where starting pitching had like a six-and-a-half ERA. I think that's I, probably the I, period that you're talking about. Uh, yep. if, if starting pitching reverts back to that as the bats come back around, then, I mean, that's a wrap at that point. The, the, the next conversation we're having is talking about what went wrong and why they didn't make the postseason. There, there is an assumption in my statement that they can continue to at least get the starting pitching that, for the most part, can keep them in games. Yes. So, let's... Keep them in games. I think it's the absolute best we can hope for at this point. 
And, you know, then we talk about, hey, we won the wild card game. We're, we're actually in a playoff series. Um, and, yeah, we'll be up against the, the Dodgers at that point. So let's not worry about that. I'm not even looking at that kind of big picture because uh, there's just the chase is what it's all about. And the chase is getting to the postseason. Uh, the fact that last year we capped by game 163 was uh, what a joyous week. For, for all Brewer fans everywhere. So at this point, I think any Brewer fan would, would say, yeah, let's just get even to that second wild card and see what happens because we, it's, it's a whole lot better than being out of it on September 1st, and I, I certainly hope that uh, that won't be the case. I, I, this, there is talent on this team, no doubt, Um and let's see where the next uh, several weeks takes it takes us. I guess to see if we even get to have that portion portion of the chase. Have, have you sensed? You, you've heard some of the David Stern's interviews. Um, one of the stations that, uh, of course, you're involved with WTMJ. They have him on it for a few minutes every Thursday morning and such. There's he's he's feeding the same comp, you know not company lines, but he's feeding the, the same David Stern's lines. I guess. But um, I, I almost sense a little bit of th- th- there's got to be frustration top to bottom within the, the front office. And I, I think partly, let me tell you this real quick, is that I think it was just within the last, say, two weeks, some of the, uh, the beat writers had some fun, not fun, but they were just kind of jostling with those in the community who make a big deal of, Ross lineup construction, okay? Like when Keston here was so hot, but he was hitting seventh, for instance, and you know people were suggesting this and this for the lineups. Well, in every conversation I hear from Craig Council and such, he's talking about putting together the proper lineups, and you know that with a couple of dozen analytical people in his front office, they're feeding him information regarding lineup construction. So I always kind of let let the fans talk about the lineup construction, because I think that a lot goes into it in that organization. And it shouldn't be poo-pooed that when the fans try to present their own ideas, I, I, I'm not a big believer in the whole lineup don't matter situation. I think they matter a lot. And that's why they work so hard to, to get the perfect one. On, um, I do think there's a human element to it as well. When I don't think Keston Hero was hitting seventh because of a lack of ability from a hitting standpoint, I think he was hitting seventh because he'd been in the major leagues for, you know, a minute. And clearly it's gotten to a point as he's moved up in the lineup that they now trust him more. But, I, you know, it's the same thing when when a starting pitcher. And some the, when I say this, this really applies to either like young pitchers or to uh, a pitcher who's really been struggling recently. It's not the the veteran who goes five innings and is lifted, and you're kind of scratching your head why why was he lifted? But a lot of times, if it's a young guy or if it's a guy who's really been struggling recently, he'll go five innings or he'll go six innings and he'll come off the mound and Council will get him out of there. Maybe the pitch count isn't there, and I've always thought Craig Council, what he's doing right there is making sure that this guy gets to walk off the mound feeling good about his day. And that that's sort of protecting the player. And I think he does try to protect the player. So it never bo- – I'm not saying the fans can't talk about lineups. We, I, I, I'm probably a little bit different than you. I, I don't think the lineup means quite as much as long as you're not doing anything radically crazy. 
Uh, but having Keston here in the seventh spot for the first month of his major league career, that didn't bother me because for me, that wasn't so much about what the analytics would tell you. It was more about Keston here as a human being who's been in the major league for a few days. Let's let's put him in a position where he can you know find some success on his own and have not quite as much pressure. I'll, I'll playfully suggest that fans seek out some of the uh, video and audio that Craig Council had today about Trent Grisham hitting leadoff. I'll leave it. I'll leave it at that because <laughs> that's certainly not putting no. little pressure on, on a player. Yeah, you no, know? So. great point, great counterpoint, and I have I have no response to that. Actually, to be honest with you, I saw that he was leadoff, and I'm, so what that tells me, Jim, is they realize things aren't going right right now, so they're kind of doing things differently. If this team is 15 games over 500 or 10 games over 500 or sitting in first place, Trent Grisham's your eight hitter. He's not your one hitter. Exactly. So, oh man, it's uh, it's. I know it, it's it's been it's been a while since we had a, a conversation that was was somewhat somewhat painful because <laughs> I don't have the answers either. The players need to play better. That the hitters need to hit with runners in scoring position. Matt, this is season long now. This isn't like oh they've been the worst in the National League since since June first or something. This is since opening day. They're the worst. Yeah, that and that's the number one. I'm sorry, like that's the number one issue with this team. I would rather, I would rather, 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 and people scoff when I say this. I would rather the Brewers just go get absolutely shut down by another team, get two base runners the entire game, than these games we've seen recently where base runners are on every single inning and occasionally they're getting one run across and they're never putting up a crooked number and they're going one for 13 with runners in scoring position. That I would just rather see the team completely shut down because at least that makes sense. At least you can you know do the old tip your cap. I have no clue why so often they get all these base runners on but then they can't come up with the proverbial big hit it makes zero sense you know I, i'll give a quick tip here to a, a site that many of us follow at brew crew ball and I, I just glanced at something a little earlier before we get on the phone here that said that um you know the team hasn't scored multiple runs in an inning since the fifth inning a week ago <sighs> so think about that even the home runs they've hit have been solo home runs so no, you, how many times have we seen a you know two run double or a you know a two run triple by the opposing squad in recent weeks? That is a, a damning statement where they haven't put never mind a crooked number they haven't put a two into an inning frame in, in a week. It, it's un, unfathomable, really. When you it's just incredible. I I had a caller call up to the post game show after Sunday's game complaining. That in the second inning, the Brewers got runners on at first and second, and Orlando Arcia came up to the plate, and they let him swing away. And the caller was complaining that it wasn't a bunt. And you got Travis Shaw's coming up after Arcia. Then you've got the pitcher who's coming up after that. It's not like you're setting things up. And again, I... I don't think if I don't know if people completely understand that this team is working so hard right now to find a way to score multiple runs and it's just not happening for them. I think this if you go talk to any baseball fan the most frustrating part of the game is exactly what the Brewers have 
specialized in this year, and that is just not getting those runners in, second and third, one out, nothing on the board. You're absolutely, you'd almost, like you said, you'd, you'd almost rather see a one, two, three inning than just live through that. It's one of the most incredibly maddening things that can happen in the scope of a single game. Now you multiply it and you stretch out over weeks at a time. And I don't know what to say about, you know, Andy Haynes, the new hitting coach and, you know, what was different under Darnell Coles. There's so many layers of what this is, you know, Tom Hodricourt wrote that book about last year. There might be more anecdotes in terms of trying to analyze this year, because this year you can really dig in at the end of the year, perhaps, and go, what, what happened? That's the real mystery novel is, is what happened. And, you know, there's still one game over 500. So why am I just creating these, these statements the way I am right now? But it's, um, I, I think I'm kind of speaking for the, the casual fan and the somewhat more than casual fan at this point in time, it's been uh, less than fun this season. Can we say that it's been, it's been less than um, if we had to put the fun meter, I'll, I'll put the fun meter right about where their record is. I'm going to go just a tad under, I'm going to say the fun meters at around 49%. Okay. So uh, I am one of the most blessed people in the world that my job is to watch baseball every day and then get to talk about it. So I, I always have fun. But I'll tell you what, it's it's not as fun as last year. I'll I'll, I'll well, go there. It's not as much. That was. It's not as much fun was, as last year. That was hard to top. That was that was hard to top. So uh, even, uh, and I'm I'm willing to give I'm willing to give a 500 season a, a 75 percent fun meter, whatever that truly means. Um, but this has been a 500 season that has been. Um, Less than that. Let's just let's just leave that at that. Yeah, yeah. And again, I'm not complaining about my. I, I'm so careful when I say this because I want people to realize. There's every person listening to this podcast would probably trade jobs with me in a split second, and I've, I'll never forget that as long as I'm doing what I'm doing. So don't take. So please don't take this mm-hmm. as me not in, enjoying it. I'm saying that more to listeners than you, Jim. I know. I know you understand, but. Again, the old fun meter that we're going on, even that 89 lost team, my, my first full year around the squad, that team overachieved. That team was really competitive. That team won games close. That team, you know, they'd be down four runs in the ninth inning and they'd score three runs and lose by one. Like there's, there was a lot of that going on. And mm-hmm. so it was different. So of all the years I've been around, and look, this can change quickly. They go, they go pop off nine out of 11 wins or something, and they're sitting in, in first place again, it, things could change. But as it sits right now, uh, in my time, and my timeline's right up with the David Stearns era in, in all but the interim season, or I guess not interim season, but the partial season of Craig Council, mm-hmm. uh, this has been the year that has been the least enjoyable. Still very enjoyable, but the least enjoyable of that uh, on that sliding scale. I think you worded that just about perfectly. You know, um, we wouldn't be fans if we didn't find enjoyment just in the day-to-day grind. Um, so I, I'm with you on that. I, when I jump on board day one of spring training and, and even beyond that, following all the off-season moves, there, there is enjoyment in just plopping yourself down and, and, and 
or listening on, uh, while you're driving around, just taking in um, pitch by pitch. There is enjoyment in a game that we both love and that anybody listening to this podcast um, likely loves this game. But there are layers of performance and expectations where suddenly um, that that fun is, is hurt and in, in, in affected and um, let's just hope that it, we can have a quick turnaround here because um, it's been uh, they haven't been the most injured team in baseball so yes there's been some key ones of course but um, you can't throw it all on that it's, it's unbelievable how this comes down to again lack of performance lack of clutch performance and just overall, ugh, right? Blah. Yeah. If you had to put one word to the season so far, it's like it's like a, a, some kind of grunt. You know, it's just like, ooh, that's where we are. And with that, let's go ahead and uh, close off the conversation for uh, for the week. <laughs> Always enjoyed this time, Jim, and this is a this is fun to kind of go back and forth on this. And uh, hopefully, I, I think a lot of people listening probably related to a lot what was said uh, during this conversation. So thanks for kind of uh, to bringing your perspective to it. I think it was much. It's needed. almost been like a therapy session for me. Um, I can I can do some things online in terms of my venting. Um, just because of where I'm based, you know, I don't have the the benefit necessarily of just chewing the fat with the guys in the office because they're not going to be talking Milwaukee Brewer baseball with me, for instance, or even among family members. So um, I'm kind of, as I think a lot of out-of-town fans might be, they're, they're kind of on our own little perch regarding following the season. So... I, I get the sense that hopefully I've represented some of that um, to the overall fan base and they can see a little bit of themselves and what I've said. And maybe there are more fans who, who lean on your side of the fence going, okay, um, there's issues, but maybe not to the extent that, that Jim expressed tonight. I think, that's, uh, I think that's well said. Thank you, Jim. I appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you, sir. The future of the Brewers organization has never been more important than it is right now. It's time to get an inside look at what's taking place throughout the Brewers minor league affiliates as we go down on the farm. Brewers X-Rays, the podcast is powered by WTMJ Mobile. It is time for our Down on the Farm segment. We're very happy to welcome in once again to the podcast. He is the voice of the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers, the Midwest League affiliate of the Brewers. He is Chris Marine and uh, Chris... This is a first because I am sitting in our State Fair studio, the WTMJ State Fair studio, as I uh, as I talk to you. So I have to ask you this. I know with what you do, there's probably very little time to get to the State Fair, but I got to think at some point you've had a Wisconsin State Fair cream puff. What are your thoughts on oh, State brother, Fair cream puffs? You're gonna you're never gonna believe me, but I have never been to the State Fair in my life. Now you did you grow up in Wisconsin? This is I did great grow up in Wisconsin, right but, here. Yeah, I, I have never, I have never been to the State Fair. Um, we did not go to the State Fair when I was, uh, when I was growing up. So, um, and then you know, doing what I do, I don't make it to Summerfest. I don't make it to the State Fair. I don't make it back home for the parish picnic that I used to go to all the time in June. So, um, no, I've, uh, I've led a sheltered life. So I've never had a uh, Wisconsin State Fair, Fair cream puff in my life. So people are probably tuning out right now, and they don't believe this, but it's true. 
We need to get the people at the Wisconsin State Fair to get like some dry ice or something and bring up a whole bunch of cream puffs to uh, to the stadium there some night. Uh, I don't know. I put on about 20 pounds this summer. I don't need to put on any more. <laughs> All right, before we start talking about baseball, I've been really looking forward to talking to you about something because uh, recently with storms, uh, the Fox Valley basically lost power, and it took a while for everybody to get back power, and that includes the stadium. You guys didn't know there was one game, I believe, that was postponed, and then a generator was brought in. There was notices going out to people, bring cash because the credit card system might not work. What What a crazy situation that was for you guys. Yeah, and it it, it, uh, it basically started on Friday night because we were playing South Bend that night at home, and it started to rain in the bottom and the top of the eighth inning, uh, and the Rattlers were up 2-1. to one. We sat through a two-hour rain delay. Um, it didn't look like it was ever going to end, and they finally called it, and the Rattlers wound up uh, winning that ball game, um, you know, rain-shortened. Saturday, everything was going fine. I was at the ballpark at, like, uh, a, I was at the ballpark at, like, you know, eight o'clock that morning to get ready for the game, um, doing some other things, uh, and then all of a sudden at eleven o'clock, everybody started coming in my uh, in my hallway back by my office here, in which is the radio booth, and uh, all of a sudden they're saying, "Yeah, we got tornado warnings, and this is a shelter." So um, they're all out there <laughs> hanging out, uh, and then all of a sudden this big lightning crash uh, flashed across the sky. We got a pretty bad thunderstorm. Um, tornado warnings going all over the place, and at 11:30 we lost power, um, and it was kind of touch and go. We weren't sure if we were going to be able to get the power is going to come back on or not. Um, at 4:30 or so, we wound up calling the game that night because uh, power was wasn't just out at the ballpark; it was out for about 70,000 people in the Fox Cities, so um, we couldn't play, which was tough because the weather was actually really nice on Saturday. Um, and so Sunday I got in at seven o'clock, um, after doing, and I had power out at my house too. So I was doing my game notes for Sunday and my stat packs. And I was cutting my highlight for Jeff and laying on that Sunday at a Culver's, which had power just about a mile from my house. So, um, that was an experience. Um, thank you to Culver's for letting me sit and occupy a booth by a, by a power outlet for two hours, by the way, for that night. But, uh, Got in the next morning at 7 o'clock, and the generator showed up right when I did, and they started hooking it up, and it was like touch and go because it was a little bit more complicated than, you know, you would think. But we finally got the power on at 11.15 or 11.20, which is 10 minutes before the gates opened. We played a doubleheader that day. The Rattlers won both games. Um, I wound up staying here on Sunday because my house didn't have power yet, so I had air conditioning and my game notes on Sunday here at the ballpark and we had a day game the next day and the power came on on, on Tuesday. And then, you know, it, it didn't end there because um, while I was on the road uh, in Cedar Rapids and, uh, and Kane County, um, the Timber Adler's front office staff had a quick turnaround because they had to set up for a concert with Bush live and our lady peace for Friday night. Um, that concert got over about 11 o'clock and they had to tear everything down, get 7,500, 8,500 people out of the ballpark, clean up the stadium and get ready for the Donald driver game the next day, which we had another 5,000, 6,000 people in here. So, and that was started, that all started at 10 o'clock the next morning. So, um, I can only, uh, I can't even take credit for any of this cause I'm just a bystander. I'm not doing anything. I'm just watching this and trying to answer some social media questions. 
everybody else on staff put a, did a lot of work in the last week to give people a lot of enjoyment here in some pretty tough conditions. And, and it's, you know, I've, I've worked here with this team for 20 seasons, and, and the, uh, if anybody can pull it off in minor league baseball, this group can't. Yeah, I agree. The, the Timber Rattlers have long had one of the best front offices uh, in, in all of minor league baseball, so it's not surprising that everything was pulled off. Just for a, like, a logistical question, and then we'll get into baseball. It was a day game there with the with the generator. Were, were outfield lights, did they have the ability to be powered by that generator? Uh, yes, they did, but if they would have gone on, a lot of other stuff would have had to go off to keep uh, <laughs> to keep in the operating standards. So we were very fortunate that both games were about two hours. We started at 1 o'clock. We were done by 6 that night and uh, did not have to turn the outfield lights on at all while everything else was running. So it was very fortunate. Is that a, is that a first pitch swinging boys kind of day because of that? No, not really. Uh, it was uh, they were they were working counts and and getting hits, and it was uh, it was a pretty fun it was a pretty fun afternoon. But you know what? We know we can do it. We don't have to prove we can do it, and I hope we never have to do it again. All right, good stuff. Uh, the big story of the past week was Ethan Small, the uh, first round draft choice of uh, the most recent draft for the Brewers, making his Timber Rattlers debut. He pitched three innings, scoreless, three hits, five strikeouts, one walk. What'd you think? Um, he looked uh, like a first-round pick. Uh, he did give up a couple of hits, um, one in each inning. But uh, while he uh, he just went after guys, the the toughest inning that he had in that ball game was the uh, game. Uh, the uh, was the third inning, which was his final inning. He gave up a leadoff double, and then he struck out the next two batters, and then. He had to face Cameron Meisner, who was the uh, competitive balance round pick for the Marlins. I think he was 35th overall. And uh, he was up against his pitch count. Uh, Meisner fouled with some pitches off. Um, Small wound up striking him out as well for his fifth and final strikeout. And, uh, you know, he threw 49 pitches, 32 strikes is what I had. And, uh, you know, he was... he showed a little bit of everything. He showed the deceptiveness of his delivery. He showed a very good off-speed stuff. He has a very good uh, velocity with some life on his fastball, and uh, you can just tell he's he's going to. We're we're very lucky to have him this year as he's moving up the ladder because uh, you know he's going to be moving up rather quickly. I have a feeling because he is uh, definitely the total package right now. I can't remember, and I can be a prisoner of the moment as much as anybody out there, but I don't remember seeing as much social media activity from people who made their way to Appleton to specifically see a player. Was was the crowd noticeably larger because of his appearance, or was that just kind of me noticing kind of an inner circle sort of deal? Well, we did have about a, I think we had about a 1,500-person walk-up on Friday. I know a lot of, you know, the, myself and Kyle Loebner and the Timber Rattlers ticket office and the Timber Rattlers um, social media staff, they did everything they could to get the word out that he was coming up. Um, and uh, we did have a really nice crowd. Now, Friday night, we were battling a couple of things. Obviously, it was uh, the uh, Packers uh, family night up at Lambeau Field, and I think we all know how we have to battle against the green and gold to draw crowds, but... Um, I think we had a lot of people show up that probably would not have normally come out to see him. And uh, people can actually plan. They're going to know when he's going to pitch because 
Um, basically, he's going to be the Timberwolves' Friday night starter for the rest of the year. The plan is for him to pitch on Friday nights. Um, he'll pitch Friday night in Burlington this week. And then he's going to pitch all of the Friday home games the rest of the season because the Rattlers are home on August 16th, August 23rd, and August 30th. So if you're listening to this podcast, fans, make your plans because you'll be able to get up here and watch Ethan Small start. He's probably going to have that pitch count ramped up a little bit, so he'll be able to go a little bit deeper in the ball games. So, uh, you know, just head to the Timber Rattlers website, order some tickets for those Friday night games, and you'll be able to see uh, Ethan Small uh, pitch here in Wisconsin. Taking a look at some of the other prospects on the team, Corey Howell, who's ranked number 28 according to MLB Pipeline, he'd been scuffling a bit at the plate, but you look at his July numbers, he hit close to 280 in the month of July. Did he find kind of a, a new gear offensively? I think uh, some of the the uh, the balls that he was hitting, because he was hitting some hard baseballs, they're starting to fall in now. He's starting to get some of those. Um, and, and he's worked on simplifying the approach, too. Like I, I don't want to say see the ball, hit the ball, but uh, basically he has kind of uh, tried to make things a lot easier at the plate. Plus, I think people need to realize that he came up from junior college as an infielder. He played shortstop and third base almost exclusively. He played shortstop and third base in the Brewers' system last year after he signed with Milwaukee. But he has played center field this year and he's learning a whole new position and a whole new way to do it and just watching him run down balls in center field and, and make catches and, and defensive plays out there he's, he's a pretty he seems pretty natural out there and he's run down some baseballs that's just been amazing to just watch him get after them and you know it, it's thinking well this is a double or this is going to get down and get to the wall and he's just running and it looks normal speed and he's getting underneath balls and he's make, making great catches out there so i think some of the offensive struggles though are going with him learning to play center field because as easy as he's making it look i know it's not easy to make that transition to the outfield so i think the more he's getting used to playing the outfield the the more he can concentrate on hitting. So he's really starting to come around in both in both uh, aspects right now. I see that Pablo Abreu ends up on the uh, on the injured list. I think that's right. That's that's fairly recent, right? He was playing just a couple of days ago. Do I, do I have that right? He he is actually on our injured list from back in April, but he has not uh, officially been taken off our injured list, even though he's playing down in Arizona with one of the uh, Arizona League teams right now. So. He, I, I'm not sure how that works, but uh, I don't think we've received a move to take him off of our roster officially yet. Mm-hmm. So um, it's just one of those paper things right now. So he, he is playing down in Arizona um, and working his way back. Would he be somebody that you would think would end up back in with the Timber Rattlers before all is said and done if he stays healthy? I don't think he would be back this year unless there is some kind of injury right now um, in the outfield. Um, the Rattlers have, uh, you know, it, they've got, uh, you know, LG Castillo and Jesus Lujano and Javon Ward are outfielders. Corey Howell has played outfield. And, you know, Thomas Dillard has played some outfield this year for the Rattlers, and he's been really good as a fifth-round pick. David Fry has played some outfield. Chad McClanahan has played outfield. So right now, I think they just want to want to get Abreu um, back into the swing of things down in Arizona, and I think Abreu uh, would probably come back in the 2020 season, but I don't expect him back this year. On the pitching side, I know we talked about Ethan Small already, but talking about a couple other guys, Max Lazar, 
what more can you say about him? I mean, he just keeps going out, uh, gives good performances. He was the the second into the piggyback on that Ethan Small night. Uh, my goodness, it just seems like every single time he pitches, it's either shutout innings or he's given up one run. Well, he's only given up one run since uh, July 11th. He is on quite a roll right now. Yeah, I'll tell you one thing I can say about Max Lazar. It's like, why is he not in the top 30 prospect list right now of of anybody's prospect list? Because he has definitely shown it. I mean, he was pitching very well before he was uh, shut down with a little bit of a a nagging injury back uh, early in the season, and then he went down to Arizona and got things right. And ever since he came back, I mean, everything that he throws. I mean, he doesn't throw very hard. But and and he, I think he's got the kind of frame that uh, will actually develop, and you can kind of project maybe a couple of extra miles per hour on the fastball. But the off-speed stuff and just the way that he gets after guys—I mean, he doesn't—he doesn't walk a lot of guys, and he is way up there in strikeouts. I mean, his his strikeout—I um, think he's at uh, let's see 79 strikeouts in 57 innings right now. He had eight strikeouts in uh, in six innings of relief to close out a one nothing game against a Clinton team that has some amazing hitters on them right now. I think I mentioned Meisner. Um, you know, he was a high draft pick by the Marlins, and he's already up in their top ten prospects. They've got uh, Peyton Burdick, a draft pick this year out of Missouri. They've got a, a guy. Uh, Bubba Hollins, who's Dave Hollins' kid. They've got a Christopher Torres, who's on a 19-game hitting streak, and Max just went out and shut them all down, and it was it was it was amazing. Especially, I think a lot of people came to see Ethan Small pitch that night, but everybody went home, maybe a little bit of a Max Lazar fan. I think I asked you this exact same question the last time we talked. I'm going to ask it to you again because, for me, one of the most impressive things has been there, there's a few guys in that rotation that just take that ball every fifth day. and Scott Sunich, Logan Gillespie, Adam Hill. It, you can count on those guys so much to always be there, and they've been there from the beginning. How stabilizing a force for the team overall has it been to have a number of guys in the rotation that have, have just taken the ball and pitched every fifth day? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's so easy because you can just pencil them in or, or actually put them in Sharpie right in there and just go, yep, it's, it's Sonich's day, here he goes. It's Hill's day, here he goes. Gillespie's day, it's, it's his turn. So, um, And that helps with the younger guys, too, because, you know, the rallies do it. Uh, Lazar Olsen, Adamas Jarvis um, on, on the cams as well. And they see that, and that's something for them to look for. And it's just, it's just the consistency of all of those guys. I mean, they still have a bad start here and there, but they'll bounce back, and they'll have an amazing start right after. And, and you know, they don't get too high, they don't get too low, um, and, and just kind of go about it professionally. And they're a little older guys. I mean, a couple of college guys and an independent league guy there in in Gillespie and. Um, you know, Hill and Gillespie are both all-stars. Sonich is, I mean, the record might not be that great, but uh, he'll go out and battle, and uh, he, it's just amazing. And he'll actually, it's fun to watch Sonich pitch because he'll just invent pitches or arm angles or whatever and just go after guys. And, and it's, it's so much fun to watch. And it, it is a very stabilizing force for the team. Outside of uh, coming up and watching uh, Ethan Small pitching, what can uh, folks expect uh, if they want to make their way uh, up to uh, to watch the Timber Rattlers here moving forward? 
Well, we've got a bunch of jersey auctions coming up, and people can, uh, you know, they can bid on those even if they don't come up to the ball games. But we would love to see them come up. We have our last Brewers Sunday home game of the season coming up on a Sunday. That's a week from today on the 11th. Um, the Rattlers are also going to be wearing their Los Angeles jerseys coming up later in August. Um, the Wisconsin Brats jerseys will be worn, worn on the last home stand of the season for the last time. And uh, there is a Wisconsin Badger team jersey coming up on our strikeout, strikeout Cancer Night. So we're going to have four jersey auctions in the month of August with all of the proceeds going to charity. We would love to have everybody come on up to the ballpark and check those out. Um, and if you can't make it, you can make a bid through our website at TimberRattlersAuctions.com. And then additionally, we've got a couple of bobbleheads coming up this season. Um, the Freddie Peralta bobblehead is coming up on the Cascapellas Day. And then the Fans Choice bobblehead this year was a pretty good choice. Bryce Terang, um, he is uh, going to be immortalized in a bobblehead coming up uh, on the last homestand of the season. First thousand fans in both night gets uh, a Freddie bobblehead and a Bryce Terang bobblehead. So um, lots of other stuff going on, fireworks. And just so many different promotions. You just have to go to TimberRattlers.com to check out all of them. Follow Chris on Twitter at CMaring. Listen to the broadcast. Watch the uh, MILB.TV version of the broadcast as well. Chris, always appreciate you finding some time. And uh, we'll talk to you again uh, as we get closer to the end of the season. All right. That sounds great. Thanks for having me. That was Chris Maring. Again, I recorded that interview with him. Uh, just after I did Brewers extra innings on Sunday after the Brewers lost to the Cubs. And uh, I did not have time to get to the studio where I normally record these interviews from. So like where the interview I recorded uh, Jim Goulart with, I didn't have time after I was done with Brewers extra innings to, uh, to, get, to leave. And we were doing the broadcast from State Fair. So for the first time ever, an interview was conducted from State Fair for Brewers extra innings the podcast. So there you go. That's why we were able to talk about cream puffs for just a moment. Here's what's coming up this week for the Brewers. And just every, every, every game matters so much. You have to maximize your wins at this point. Earlier in the podcast, I said I felt like the team was at a crossroads where the urgency is here. They've got to start winning games consistently. And uh, on the schedule this week, as we move into the first full week of August, they'll play three games in Pittsburgh against the Pirates, and then they've got a three-game interleague series this weekend at home against the Rangers. Very winnable games against teams that are not especially good, and they've got to take advantage of of this uh, opportunity. You look at the rest of the month of August, uh, there's some good teams, but there's some... It's kind of a mix. You have the Twins, the Nationals, the Cardinals, the Diamondbacks, Cardinals again, and you also have the Cubs again uh, later on in August. But you look at these two series coming up this week, three against the Pirates starting on Monday, three against the Rangers starting on Friday. Some very winnable games, it would seem, and uh, hopefully they are able to uh, to take care of their business. As always, you can always uh, listen to those games on WTMJ. Stick around after the network broadcast for my post-game show, Brewers Extra Innings. And uh, if you are not in the area where you cannot hear WTMJ, you can stream the post-game show, Brewers Extra Innings, at WTMJ.com. Also on the WTMJ app, it should be noted, uh, the, the, the stream does not like turn back on 
You're going to hear other programming while the actual like Brewers Radio Network broadcast is going on. The digital rights for that is actually owned by Major League Baseball. So it's once the network broadcast wraps up that you are able to hear the Brewers X-Brain post-game show. So if you ever pop on to WTMJ.com and are wondering what you're hearing after a Brewers game, saying, I thought I could hear the, the post-game, you can. You just got to wait a little while. It'll be coming up generally to going between 20 and 30 minutes after the end of the game. All right, my thanks again to uh, my two guests this week, uh, both Jim Goulart and Chris Marion. We'll talk to you again next week with another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.